G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. A challenging conversation, but one I think you can get into, and we're talking not just about issues here on our shores in Australia, but shores around the world where uh, Islamic persecution of Christians is on the rise. Well, over 32 years, Nick and Ruth Ripken have obeyed Christ's command to share Jesus across the globe and are renowned as experts on persecution under Islam. The Ripkins and their teams have served throughout the Horn of Africa within famine and war zones, resettling refugees, providing famine relief and operating mobile medical clinics. Even one of their own children died in Somalia and is buried there. Well, after their son died, the Ripkins began a global pilgrimage to learn from believers living under persecution how to recapture a biblical way of looking at mission and witness and house church planting in the midst of persecution and martyrdom. Or more deeply, it's a lesson on how to trust Jesus completely. The Ripkins have interviewed over 600 believers in persecution in more than 72 countries, Uh, They've learned from the suffering church how to thrive amidst suffering, not merely survive. And they've used everything they've learned from believers under persecution to create resources as gifts from the church to the church. And they are in Australia. To you both, uh, Nick and to Ruth, welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's great to be here. It's a joy for us to be part of your show and to be in Australia. Well, some listeners will remember just perhaps I think it was a few weeks back. uh, We had a conversation and I spoke to you from the United States and you'd stayed up very graciously late into your evening uh, to talk to our uh, listeners here in Australia. And uh, we got just a little taste. And when I, I heard that we had the opportunity to have you with us in the studio and to have a longer opportunity to talk and open our talkback lines and hear what listeners around Australia have to say, uh, I thought it would be a great opportunity. So I want to welcome you to our program today. Let's talk about persecution around the world because there's been a significant shift in recent years. If I come to you first, uh, Ruth, as you think of the shift, the way things have begun to escalate by way of Christian persecution under Islam, is there something you can identify uh, that uh, is helping to exacerbate that? It's making that worse? It's causing it to increase? Well, I think Satan has realized how, um, how the world is changing, and it's scared him, and so he's gone... Um, beyond anything we've ever imagined as he's tried to um, capture Islam through ISIS. And I think that's where he's made a mistake because all of a sudden we see Satan unmask. We see evil unmask and we realize um, it, it, it isn't Islam. It's, it's Satan trying to show us who is boss. And that's what I'm seeing more and more as we look at the Syria situation as we look at refugees flooding into Europe, um, 
all of a sudden there is just this massive movement of peoples. And um, the church can decide, what are we going to do about this? Nick, as we think of dates like September 11, 2001, and uh, the stirring up of like a hornet's nest uh, of uh, what, you know, has become jihad against uh, people in the West, uh, is that a significant date? And the things that you've seen develop over the years, how significant was that uh, uh, September 11 for the ministry that you and Ruth have been involved in? It's made our work, uh, if you are American, British, uh, anyone that was involved uh, in the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, Somalia back earlier, and especially when when Saddam Hussein was killed, and when Muammar Gaddafi was killed, that created such a huge vacuum that it was like Jesus has prophesied. There was a man who had a demon. The demon was cast out, wandered in dry places, came back, found that house swept and empty, and went and got seven dem- demons worse than himself. And so the man's end result was worse than the, the former. And killing uh, those two uh, dictators, they, they were horrible, horrible men, but uh, uh, the Western world— uh, has created a vacuum in which evil could prosper. And for those of us who are workers for Jesus Christ from those countries, it's much harder now for us to speak Jesus's name in Islamic context because of, uh, you, you, you see, they've listened to our churches pray, brother. Neil, I don't know what you do in, in Australia, but for about every one time, conservative churches in America pray for their missionaries. They pray for their military 150 times. Now, that is astounding. Islam listens to that, and they have concluded that a missionary is a soldier with a Bible, and a soldier is a missionary with a gun. I think listeners hearing your sentiments and there's something deeper in the tone that you use and and you too Ruth because it's political it's politically correct to be nice to Muslims and you're coming from contexts where you've sat with Christians persecuted around the world more than 70 countries mm-hmm. and when our listeners are hearing you talk about Islam as being demonic and evil uh, those are significant words to use, but you have to draw a contrast, don't you? Because if you say that God, our God of the Bible is a jealous God and that he is uh, the one who uh, will eventually separate the sheep from the goats, you have to call light, light and dark, dark, don't you? Nick? Yes, but, but Islam uh, is the religion that holds Muslims hostage. And you have to differentiate between uh, the person that Satan is holding hostage from uh, uh, than the uh, uh, the religion or Islam is to Muslims what dollars and a lavish lifestyle is to Americans. Okay, both right. of them separate you from God. Yeah. Anything that separates you from God, whether it's Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, or or consumerism. Uh, anything that separates you from God is as bad as the other. Let's recount a little of your story because you spent time as missionaries in Somalia, in mm. Africa. As I understand it, there were about 150 Christians yes, sir. when you were there. 
when you left Somalia, most of those Christians had been killed, executed for their faith. Uh, Recount uh, that story. Yeah, I've misled you a little bit because uh, Somalia was so, so bad. We lived in Kenya, and I and Ruth went in and out, and we never went in together. It was that dangerous. We didn't want the boys losing both parents at the same time. And so as as the civil society just melted down, no schools, no infrastructure, uh, a more conservative Islam was turned loose. And they began, Neil, they began hunting followers of Jesus like you and I might hunt deer or whatever we hunt for food for the table or for sport. And they killed four of my best friends one day, uh, stalked them, planned it, put a gun to the back of their head, killed them. And, Neil, I, I, I can't tell you how much this hurts us. We went from 1988 to 2013, and every Somali believer that died, we never had their body at their funeral. Muslims took, radical Islam took their bodies, threw it in a, a ravine or threw it in a garbage or threw it in a latrine, and we never had a Somali believer's body at their own funeral. It's tragic. And, Ruth, it's an interesting uh, dimension to draw on, uh, that when people think of missionary work as sometimes being, you know, meeting those nice people in that little uh, village. Uh, But missionary work has its dangers, and you've experienced those dangers. And the areas that you've primarily worked in have been areas where it's been Islam that has been an enemy of Christianity. Yeah, and I think the thing that is overarching all that we're talking about is we want to give people an option. We want Mm. to give them a choice. And um, by going, by sharing Jesus, we're giving people a choice. And for most of the world that is where Islam rules, they've never been given that choice. Mm. And so that's the important thing of going um, as a child of God is you're living out Jesus in front of people so that they can see that there is a difference. Let's talk about all the different sorts of contexts that you'll find uh, where there is Islamic controlling. Uh, Most of us are all familiar with ISIS. Uh, We're familiar with some of those uh, different brands, but there's a number of brands that are some people describe as worse than ISIS in a number of African countries. Uh, Describe some of those for us, Nick. Well, uh, I think uh, that what Ruth and I have learned from sitting with believers in persecution, and again, to set this up uh, for your listeners, you know, to have 150 believers reduced to four, and Ruth and I together have bachelor's, master's, and doctorate in missionary-type schools, and none of them, none of them, well, let's put it this way in the positive, all of them taught us how to be sheep among the sheep. And yet Jesus said, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. And when we got to Somalia, where the wolves were in the majority, and they were full-time majority, we had no tools from the church nor the schools uh, to to teach us how to think, how to apply scriptural concepts, because everything we knew was how to maintain the body of Christ, not start the body of Christ. And so uh, uh, not knowing, I, I didn't mind. I promise you, Neil, Ruth and I did not mind with our boys being sheep among the wolves. I, I did mind being a stupid sheep and and not having the tools from the body of Christ 
in which to love Muslims. They told me about the five pillars, and they told me about Sunni and, and Shia. You know what they never told me? They never modeled for us the quickest way to love and lead Muslims to Christ was to be in their homes with our kids and have them in our homes with their kids break bread together hours and hours and pass our stories back and forth and watch the temperature lower lower, and then read in the Bible again. Look at all the times that Jesus broke bread with uh, with, with, the people that he was criticized for doing that. And now we hold our teams accountable. How many meals a month do they have Muslims in their home and they're in Muslims' home? Breaking bread with lost people is the quickest way to bring them to the kingdom of God. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. Good to have you along with us. Of course, when we talk about the religion, the ideology of Islam, sometimes it looks a softer religion here in our Australian context because it's not so well established. We have some insights today on what Islam is like on the other side of the world, uh, where there are significant issues that Christians face, especially under the persecution of Islam. We're talking about adjusting to the changing world and the insanity of God tour. Nick and Ruth Ripkin are our guests. Uh, They're in Australia as guests of Open Doors and they have a wide-ranging list of speaking appointments. You can get the details at opendoors.org.au. For those in southeast Queensland, they'll be speaking at the Redeemer Lutheran Chapel uh, in Rochdale. Uh, tonight, that's in Brisbane, and you'll be able to see Nick and Ruth from 7 p.m. Uh, Ruth, the book that you and Nick have written called The Insanity of God, and that's where the tour name comes from. Uh, what would people expect to read about when they open up that book and they look at the table of contents and they're uh, just uh, savoring the possibility of going deeper into these things? What are they likely to see? Well, it'll begin with our story. Uh how Nick and I met and how we began to feel the urge to go to the nations, the thought that people had never heard about Jesus just um, captivated us. And that took us on a journey through uh, several countries. And so the first part of the book is that story um, of how we got to Somalia and had no clue what we were doing. And we began to beg people to help us, uh, teach us what to do. And, uh, Finally, our leadership had come to us and said, you know, we really don't know how to do what you're doing. We've never been to places like like Somalia where they do. Um, just people being our friends could cost them their lives. So that first half of the book, we like to say, is like the Old Testament. It's the journey of going that, that story of God that just shaped. And then the last half of the book is how God took us Um, to meet believers in persecution, to sit at their feet, to say, those of us from the West, we have no clue how to to live in places where it costs so much to follow Jesus. Um, And so then we, we share those stories. And so the first half is like the Old Testament. The second half is the New Testament of finding victory in in Jesus, even in the toughest places. No doubt we'll be talking some more about the book, The Insanity of God. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Marianne in Armadale in New South Wales. Uh, Marianne, welcome along to 2020. Oh, hello. Thank you. 
Marianne, what are your thoughts on our discussion today? Um, I really um, identified with... Um, now, sorry, what was um, what uh, are the names of the couple? Nick, Nick and Ruth are with us. Yeah, when Nick was talking about um, breaking bread and having meals with, with the Muslims um, or people that had been Muslims that they were reaching out to um, because I've you know, been in contact with some Muslims in Australia. Um, one of them was a mother of my daughter's friend. Um, and I became friends with her and she had a teenage daughter as well as um, a baby. And um, she just invited me over to visit one day and she really enjoyed it. And she actually, you know, I asked her if I could, you know, continue to come to visit and, and it was quite amazing, her hospitality. Whenever I visited, mm. she wanted to cook me something, <laughs> which, which was really lovely. And um, they, I found that, you know, they were interested in Christianity and what I believed, um, which was really great. Marianne, let's get a response from Ruth. I can see her smiling as you're telling that story because the hospitality of people in these nations is often... Yes. Just wonderful. Ruth, your your response to Marianne. Marianne, I wish you could see the tears swelling up in my eyes um, because you're singing my song. And um, it is so true that hospitality is a gift that um, most of us from the West have forgotten. And for our Muslim friends, they know how to treat us well. Um, Yes. And so I thank you for sharing that, and I thank you for being willing to open up your home and laying down your fears um, mm. to make that relationship. And can I share just two more things very quickly? Yep, very quickly. Um, I think they were open because a guy who was a Christian apparently offered free driving lessons to her husband, oh. both at university. Another thing that happened, I was working in a Christian organization, and we're in a unit or a, a sort of building where there were units. And this Muslim lady amazingly came over with a tray of tea mm. and cups of tea. And she made friends with me and the receptionist. And we would go over for lunch and it was amazing. We got to share the Bible with her. Um, her name is Mary. And I think she either came from Iran or Iraq. Um, but you could remember her in your prayers um, because I don't know where she is now. Um, Yes. Marianne, just wonderful to hear from you. Thank you so much for calling in today and being part of our discussion on 2020. Neil, what, what she has done intuitively is what we're asking followers of Christ to do deliberately. And, and that is not just sort of, you know, allowed us to fall into our laps. When Ruth and I go to any Muslim environment, within 15 minutes, they're taking us to tea. Within 30 minutes, they're inviting us over for a meal. They always welcome us to their country the first time we meet them. And they are in America for 30 years, and no one has ever welcomed them to America. They have never met a Christian. They've never heard the name of Jesus. And they are so lonely because nobody talks to them. This is not brain surgery, and you don't need a, a theological degree to love Muslims inside your home. We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Penny in Tasmania. Hello, Penny. Welcome along. Hello, Neil. Hello. Is it Nick and Ruth? Yes, it's Nick and Ruth. Yeah, hello. How are you? We're fine. Loving Australia. Love. You all some of the most kindest 
uh, welcoming this, if that's the word, people in the world. You should see the smile on my face when you say that. <laughs> you are obviously old-fashioned um, missionaries that I used to hear about. And some of the things that you've talked about I've never heard of, like you, you said, um, and a question is coming from this, you, you said that when you had Muslim families come to your home, you would break bread and that would lead into um, them becoming Christians. Could you please explain to me um, how that works and what do you... Uh, how does that eventuate? It sounds amazing to me. Well, uh... Thank you, Penny, for calling in. Uh, Muslims, unlike Westerners, in America, uh, Satan has told us a lie, and, and we believe that lie, that religion and faith is a private matter. In Islam, it's not. It's like talking about sports. It's like talking about uh, uh, politics. And in Islam, the first time they meet you, uh, they invite you for tea, uh, they and they they will invite you over for a meal, and just like Jesus did with with those that he was criticized, whether it was Zacchaeus, I'm going home with you today, Zacchaeus. Jesus was in the marketplace where the woman with the issue of blood could touch her. Jesus was where the Samaritan lady could talk about the kingdom of God. And and but a lot of these situations that you read in the New Testament had Jesus sharing meals with the outcasts, and, and, and when he was criticized for it, he said it's not well people, healthy people that need the doctor, it's sick people. And what we have discovered, just like Jesus in the New Testament, sharing meals with Muslim families is one of the quickest ways to see them engage the kingdom of God because they're asking us two questions. They want to know how to do marriage, and they want to know how to raise kids, and the way they do that is by you letting them in your house watch you loving your family. Uh, Nick, let me ask you, there's been a, a few things that we've been talking about. Some of those sound really contrasting. The dangers, uh, the jihad, the challenges that are being faced by Christians around the world. And yet, the hospitality of Muslims yes. to Christians uh, this is a real contrast. You've been into so many different settings around the world, so many different contexts, and you've found ways to create opportunities and to create the opportunity for people to respond to you. So you've created reasons to be there with Muslim people. Oh, Tell me about that. Thanks, Neil, for asking that question, because what Jesus did by healing the sick and and feeding the hungry and and telling stories and letting that woman with the issue of blood touch her, raising that little girl along with Lazarus from the dead, he created a right to be in the marketplace to where it's the same thing that we have in Islam. We, we will go in there, and because of the love of Jesus Christ, we do it without expecting anything in return, praying that they will come to Christ. But we feed the hungry, we work with the refugees, we resettle them, we do mobile medical clinics, we do everything we can that we saw Jesus do uh, in the New Testament. And by the way, our faith, as far as I can tell, Christianity is the only 
faith system in the world that prays for people by their name. And when you're in their homes in the marketplace and you call their name out to God, mystical, powerful, godly things happen. And we've been in situations where we have put our lives at risk and our team members in order to feed the hungry and heal heal the sick and clothe the naked. And by the way, uh, we were involved in seeing about 20 babies buried each day for the first six or seven months we were in Somalia. And then uh, an ISIS-like uh, 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 group of people will want to attack us, and the Muslims around us will give their lives to protect us and say to the bad guys, you've never prayed for my child. You've never fed my grandmother. You never brought me white cloth to wrap my wife's body in so I could bury her in in the Muslim way. These people loved me, risked their life for me. Get out. Wow. Ruth, when we hear of uh, things that we'd call social justice, uh, feeding uh, those who have no clothes, uh, feeding uh, feeding the hungry, uh, clothing those who have no clothes, uh, and creating the opportunities here. Some people will say, oh, what, don't we just turn up there and we have a evangelistic crusade and we preach the gospel? Well, this just goes to show that these practical aspects of love in our Christian walk are just as important as the message that we're there to deliver. Right. We want to represent Christ. We want to be Christ. Mm. Um Part of the the thing is we want the stories of Jesus to penetrate, uh, not our stories, not not something. And by doing something good, uh, we can we have the right to share the stories that are in that we want to share. And they they want us to share the stories. Don't we sit with their families and there might be 10 people. I tell a story. 20 minutes later, there's. 20 people, I ask Ruth to share a Bible story, and the men will look at me like, a woman can tell the holy the stories from your holy book, and the women in the background are cheering uh, Ruth on, but they see, they watch me, listen, Neil, they watch me watch Ruth, and they watch Ruth watch me, and if you ever can get to the verse where, you know, we fight over... Uh, who's to be the head of the household, and women submitting to men. But when Muslim women discover that in Christ there is a man willing to die for her, she doesn't believe there's such a man on the earth. And and, and maybe it's true in Western cultures too, but she watches me watch Ruth and realizes that man will give his life for his wife. Where can I find a man like that? And we say, only in Christ. Wow. And you may not know this, but today in Australia is what's called White Ribbon Day. And lots of people are talking about domestic violence. Mm. And when we talk about Christian solutions for domestic violence, what you've just shared is just so powerful. A man who lay down his life for his wife, Mm. just as Christ laid down his life for the church. There's a modeling that's gone there, and uh, that modeling is... A part of a solution. Jesus did for his bride, so I'm to do it for my, my bride. bride. And, and But they have to have access to our homes and us in their homes to see us. If they watch us bless Jesus around the table and they watch us worship together as a family and they see how to do church in their homes, then they know I can come to Jesus. I can do this. Wow.
We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Jason in Sydney. Hello, Jason. Welcome along. Thanks for being patient. Yes, no, thank you for uh, giving me the space. Um, I, uh, my wife is from Indonesia, and um, at the collapse of their military government in the, the late 90s, um, that's when jihad started there. Um, they, this was what elements that led up to the Bali bombings. Mm. And um, around the time of September 11, you know, things just don't happen. Um, there was stuff building up. Now, I had to go in the middle of this time of jihad. Um, I had to go with my wife to bury a father in Jakarta. And for an Aussie, especially with the travel warnings uh, that the government was, our government was giving, um, it was a hair-raising time, but, you know, I, I still I felt for my wife, etc. Now, praise God, nothing serious happened. But what I did learn in amongst this incredibly tense, stressful time of riots, um, looting, church burnings, and children being beheaded, um, just horrifying stuff. What I also learned was that this was 18 years ago, is a lot of what this couple are talking on your radio station about today is about um, hospitality, is about churches that were saved in the middle of the Jakarta riots, mm. churches that were spared by their neighbours right. because they're, they're tribal leaders. Now, it's quote-unquote a democracy in Indonesia, but you've still got elders and you've still got um, clan leaders who are running suburban areas. They're, they're still elders who still have a voice in the Muslim community. And they were standing in front of certain churches and saying these are the people who have fed us these are the people who either do trade with us you know if you're going to get to the nitty-gritty um, or they um, have been kind neighbors to us wow. and we're not going to let anyone in there was a, a story of a young woman who's going to be going to be torn to shreds I mean just horrifying stuff a man brought her into his semi-trailer and as the crowds were bedding at the door someone shouted at him you know she's a Christian what would you care about her? And he said, she's not a dog. I wouldn't treat a dog like that. Mm. She's a human being. Wow. Jason, when... let's hear a response uh, from Nick. Nick, I can hear your, your heart beating almost as, uh, as Jason's sharing those stories. Well, Jason uh, is teaching us, and Jason and his wife is modeling for us, and Jason is reminding us about our own story. Uh, Neil, I come from churches that believe that it's okay to die for your country and it's no longer okay to die for Jesus. And what I hear in Jason's story, and it's in Ruth's and my story, is that dying for Jesus is an honor and a privilege. Persecution is not something you run away from. If you have somebody that's scared of it, you deal with it. You biblically, kindly deal with it. If you have somebody on your team that wants to be persecuted, take them to a counselor. They're crazy. All right? So persecution is neutral. You don't seek it. You don't run away from it. It's just where there is a great witness and a great harvest, there's a great persecution. Where there's little witness, little harvest, there's little persecution. But Muslims today, Muslims just like uh, just like um, Darlin, who was the guy in the Bible that uh, was willing to give his daughters to protect the men in his house. Lot. Yeah, Lot. Just like Lot was willing to give his virgin daughters, you know, I don't advocate that, but to protect 
the guest in his house. That's the way Muslims are now as pagans in our terminology and all the horrible things we say about them. But they're willing to give their lives to protect me and my wife as long as we're inside their house. Their house is a sacred place. And if Jesus can transform that, it becomes a house of worship in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Jason, for your insight today here on 2020. Let's take a call. Ruth is in Queensland. Hello, Ruth. Welcome along. Yes. Um, uh, yes, it's wonderful. I've been reaching out to Muslims, and um, I've also been reaching out uh, to a lot of street kids and runaway street kids and young people and older people that are on the street, and I just pray that we also extend that advice to our own people and to um, our neighbours and to our people in the church even, um, our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially our weaker brethren, and um, don't have that partiality and that judgment of the weaker person and the outcasts and the needy people that we see all around us every day. We have all nations everywhere, every time we go down shopping, every time, everywhere we go, and our brother or our sister in Christ, and those who don't know the gospel, um, those who are perishing, that Jesus laid his life down for. And Ruth, I'm not sure where you're from, but of course, increasingly, uh, people in our communities appear to be much more multicultural than they've ever been before. From one Ruth to another, Ruth, what are your thoughts? Ruth, thank you for calling and reminding us that the nations are in our midst. Um, I have been so blessed to walk the streets in Sydney and now Uh, in Brisbane to see all the different nationalities that are right here. And I think that's why that wonderful Great Commission that Jesus gave us to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world, if we can do it in our own uh, locations, we can go anywhere in the world to share Jesus. So thanks, Ruth, for um, just calling in and mentioning these things and reminding us of what, uh, what our master has commanded us to do to go and to share Christ. I, I don't. We don't walk by. Uh, let's say it this way: white Americans to get to uh, Muslims. Uh, we share our faith with white Americans, with African Americans, and as Jesus commands, we love them. I mean, oh my brother, I got to Africa and 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 realized I'd never broken bread with black people in my own country. I had never had them in my home, in my own country, and I had to confess that as sin. And as we came back on our first furlough after five years, we corrected that. We, we don't, there, there's nobody that we encounter we're not commanded to love in the name of Jesus. Thank you to Ruth. Let's take a call from Jonathan in Perth in WA. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome along. Yeah, Hello. Jonathan, what yeah, are your thoughts? You know, uh, Jesus, uh, he said, do unto other as you will expect them to do unto you. Right. So what uh, Ruth and the husband are sharing their idea is uh, love. Uh, when you love with all your heart uh, against the room, to even the element to love you. It's said in the Bible, if we love the element, God will give room for them even to love us. So it's not strange. It happened in many countries. Uh, this is why we need only thing the church all in this community is love. If we love the way our master taught us, it will be easy. 
Jonathan, where, 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 where are you from? You, uh, we are coming from Guinea. Happy uh, from Guinea. Uh, West Africa. We love, you know, we live in Africa for mm, 29 years after our, of our 34 years uh, on the mission field. And we have learned more about, I have learned more about being a husband and a father uh, from sub-Saharan Africans than I did in any seminary or school that I've ever attended. And I owe you a big debt in teaching me what it means to be a man of God. Yeah. And Jonathan, as a regular caller into this program, uh, what a privilege and great timing uh, to have you calling in today, Jonathan. It's just uh, wonderful to hear from you. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guests this hour, Nick and Ruth Ripkin. We're talking about adjusting to the changing world. We're talking about persecution under Islam in so many contexts around the world. Uh, Let's take one more call quickly. Chris is in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Listen, um, I know it's good to show hospitality, but... Uh, and that can lead people, but I think the great thing is it's a spiritual battle and you have to deal with spirits. So prayer is probably the most important thing for Muslims if you're dealing with them and uh, probably pray that um, God, you know God will, and that Jesus will bind them to the Father's heart, which is the, the spirit of adoption, mm-hmm. and loose off from the, the orphan spirit, the spirit of rejection, which hangs over the Muslim world since Ishmael. You know, that great spirit of rejection, there's a spiritual battle there, so... Chris, thank you so Thanks, much for Chris. your call. We are running out of time, and uh, so we'll take that as a comment because I just wanted to ask you uh, just to, as we finish and wrap some things together on a high note uh, as we can finish our conversation today, Nick, uh, when you talk about the challenges that Islam has, the persecution of Christian believers, mm. and then this incredible contrast of this hospitality and love that can happen from Muslims towards Christian believers. You have your own story to tell of a Muslim who walked five days to attend the funeral of your own son. Well, our son, eight days after his uh, 16th birthday, woke his mama up about 1.30 in the morning with a severe asthma attack, and Ruth came and got me out of bed, and, and I saw... Uh, it was so severe, I didn't even take time for her to dress. I threw our son in the car, uh, drove toward the children's hospital, 2 o'clock in the morning. I ran a man off the road uh, to get him to drive my car so I could do CPR on our son. He died uh, a couple hours later after Ruth and our older son and friend made it to the hospital. And so here I am all night. Uh, Ruth and I are calling family to tell them uh, that our son had died and very difficult for them to understand that that Timmy had died on Easter Sunday morning when it was still Saturday in America. But I, at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, I got on, a, on our radio that I used to check on our teams. We're getting kicked out of Somalia. And, and, and I called our chief of staff, and I told him Timmy had died. He never said anything. He just put down the radio. And five days later, he shows up at our front door, ragged, lips cracked and bleeding, dehydrated, clothes just falling off his body. And I said, where have you come from? And he stood up with all the pride, Neil, he could muster. And he looked me, and with tears running down his cheeks, he said, I have come to bury our son, Timothy. And he sat between Ruth and I at Timmy's funeral, 
and watched how believers in Christ bury their son. And the illustration, of course, is the compassion that someone who's experienced the love of Christ will show towards the Christian believer in the deep times of need that we all face. And if a Muslim will walk five days to help a Christian bury his son, what do we as followers of Jesus Christ owe those who do not know Jesus? We go uh, uh, with joy and we count it an honor to be able to share uh, Christ with Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, a joy to have them in our home and a joy to be in their homes. It's not a burden, but five days he walked and uh, I've got to repay that. I've got to give that back. Uh, Both Ruth and I are PKs. She's a preacher's kid and I'm a pagan's kid. And we've got a lot to give back to the world. Okay. Well, as things are heating up, as persecution is increasing around the world, of Christians under an Islamic context, uh, there are incredible opportunities. And I think if we take something from this conversation this hour, there is a big contrast. Uh, What is a difficulty for so many has become the opportunity for the church to share the love of Christ into those contexts. That's a great Uh, word. Let me me just say opendoors.org.au is the website where you'll find how to see uh, this couple speaking on their tour around Australia called the Insanity of God Tour. You can also get a hold of their book, no doubt, through that website, opendoors.org.au. And uh, forward slash IOG will get you straight to the Insanity of God Tour. Uh, Nick and Ruth, thank you so much for sharing your hearts with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Thank you so much. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.